Welcome to my hometown, filled with murder, mysteries, the paranormal, and a fair share of hauntings. This is Local Legends. Hi all, and welcome back to another episode of Local Legends with Lark Farley. I'm your host, Lark. A little bit about me, I'm from a small town called Brown County in Indiana, and every Sunday I'll be coming at you with an interesting news story, local opinion letter, folktale, etc., most of which will be sourced from the local paper, the Brown County Democrat. And then, at the end of the podcast, I'll be opening it up to listener stories. You can send your own listener stories to locallegendswithlark at gmail.com. Some housekeeping items. I don't have anything for last week's episode. If you haven't already, check it out. I will say that this episode will be formatted a little bit differently. Since it is a bigger story and with more articles being cited, I'll be going through a timeline with you all, summarizing the important bits, rather than reading every single word of every article. Before we get into today's episode, as always, all of the articles I cite in the podcast will be linked in the description should you want to check them out for yourself. All right, let's get into it. So today's story is, as the title suggests, Arson Strikes the Opry. Now, as you all, I'm sure, know by now, Brown County is a very small town in the Midwest, and there are a shockingly high number of arson events that have happened in Brown County. There have been several large businesses in the town who have been struck by arson. And this story was one of the the biggest to ever happen, I would say, in Brown County. I remember when this happened and it was such a big deal because the Opry brought so many um, visitors and tourists to the town. It was a huge incentive Um, for visitors and that helped local businesses local restaurants it really helped bring a boom um, to Brown County if you will so when this happened it obviously was devastating to both local businesses and hotels and things of that nature Uh, it took years right for the town to be able to get back on its feet uh, because of this so let's start from the beginning shall we So the Little Nashville Opry is just as it sounds. It's a concert venue and it was originally opened April 4th, 1975. I couldn't find the specific date on like when the property was bought um, and that type of thing, but it was officially opened for business April 4th, 1975. The original owners were Cal Smith and Mickey Gilley. There's not a lot of information about them either. They just kind of opened it and things went off from there. So some of the top country artists of all time played there. People like Dolly Parton, Tom Jones, Johnny Cash. You get the picture. Big deal artists came and they brought a lot of business. Um, September 19th, 2009, the Opry burned down due to arson. So at its height, the Opry, you know, according to the Visitors Bureau, the 2000 seat Opry brought more than 60,000 people from a year to town. That is so many visitors and so much business. And then just like that, September 19th, 2009, the Opry burned down. So according to investigators, they said that the fire was set in the stage area of the performance hall. 
there are, of course, questionable circumstances, right? The property taxes had gone unpaid. The building's entertainment permit expired nine months prior to the fire, and the last fire inspection was done 18 months prior as well. Oopsie, smell a fish? Because I sure do. That's interesting and very suspicious, wouldn't you say? No property taxes had been paid, and um, no fire inspections had been done on the property. Hmm. So the fire swept through the Little Nashville Opry on September 19th at around 10 p.m., Shortly after the Sunday night performance, luckily whoever started the fire waited until everyone had left and the last um, event had cleared. Can you imagine? You go to see Dolly Parton and all of a sudden the whole building burns down around you. Brown County, like I said, that has a very extensive history of arson fires. In 1996, half a town block burned down. Yep. We're going to, if you think that we're not going to be covering that story, sit down, buckle up because we will be getting to that story. At some point, the owner of one of the destroyed businesses was convicted and sent to prison. Then the Seasons Hotel. So this, so there's a lot of hotels in Nashville, obviously, you know, Brown County, because tourists. And one of the biggest ones, the Seasons Hotel, it got, uh, you guessed it, ding, 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 set on fire uh, by an arsonist. And it, indi- it endangered, as you might guess, the lives of dozens of guests. Luckily, no one died, but some were severely and seriously injured. And that case is still unsolved. We will also be covering that one. Don't you worry. Okay, so here we go. Court documents show that the concert hall, the Opry, uh, was insured for more than $3 million. Jim Oliver, the prosecutor, so he's the prosecutor in Nashville and Brown County. And he was the one that, you know, had this case uh, laid out before him. And... He said that James Bauer, the former manager of the Opry, and the towels, the, the hall's owner, Esther Hamilton, were heavily in debt from casino gambling losses. The hall's owner has not been charged, so Esther didn't get charged. James Bauer did. So that was another thing. So James and Esther bought the property from Cal Smith and Mickey Gilly. Okay, so then they became the new owners. So Esther Hamilton bought it from Cal Smith and Milky Gilly in the later portion of 1975. So 1975 it opens, the original owners were Cal Smith and Milky Gilly. They sell it to Esther Hamilton. And her business partner, James Bauer, enters center stage and is charged with the burning of the Opry. And like I said, they were heavily in debt from casino gambling. Now, from what I could read in these articles, it seems to be that James Bauer was the one that got Esther into gambling in the first place. So he was the incentive, if you will. He would drive her to the gambling halls and together they would go. Seems a little fishy. I smell something a little funky there. Uh, as authorities say, they had no evidence of anyone but Bauer being involved in the fire. So Esther's clear. Bauer, the business partner, is not. Prosecutors claimed that Bauer had set the fire in hopes of collecting the $3 million in insurance money to get out of his gambling debt. Bauer, of course, pleaded not guilty. His lawyers claimed that he had no reason to burn the business since he wasn't listed on the insurance or tax records and therefore wouldn't benefit from its destruction. 
Authorities allege that Bauer waited until the audience and band had cleared the building after a Saturday night concert, then poured a flammable liquid down the center aisle and onto the stage before igniting it and leaving out the back door around 10 p.m. Now, something to note here, y'all. The sprinklers had been disassembled. So whoever did the arson was a good planner. Bauer's attorney maintained during his trial that he had not been the last to leave the property the night of the fire. However, they couldn't prove that to be fact, right? It's all hearsay at this point. She said she left. He says he left. No one knows who left. Did anyone leave? Were they all there? Shrugged shoulder. A passerby, so this is another interesting fact, okay? You would think that maybe someone, since there were apparently several people in the Opry at that time when it got set on fire, would call this in, nay, 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 a passerby in a car saw that the Opry was on fire, set of flames, and called 911 to report the fire coming from the structure. And they did this 22 minutes later. So the fire got started at 10 p.m. At 10.22 p.m. is when police got the call, the Opry's on fire. In trial, Bauer's lawyer stated that the investigation jumped straight to Bauer and they didn't do a thorough investigation. Uh, They said that law enforcement failed to fully examine other suspects and the prosecution's case relied too heavily on investigators' handwritten notes because they didn't record all the interviews, apparently. That's a mistake. Uh, Sergeant Jim, you messed up there, sir. You gotta sit down you gotta record that stuff. So hopefully that didn't happen because, again... The court documents were a little, like, no one seemed to know what was going on, right? So I couldn't find any proof that that had been the case. It was just, like, this little bitty blurb in the middle of the article that stated that. So the prosecutor, Jim Oliver, said that that kind of criticism is not unusual and expected from a defense. He says that all of the evidence points to Bauer as the arsonist. Now, what's interesting about this trial, man, I would have paid good money been a part of that trial you know you get those like jury calls and you're like "Eh, i don't want to go no 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 no. this one oh my gosh can you imagine being the juror one of the jury jurors on this trial it would have been insane it would have been crazy it lasted two weeks okay a two-week trial with you want to guess how many witnesses 50 yep that's right 50 50 witnesses two-week trial do you know how entertaining it would have been How insane it would have been. Oh my gosh. The things that were probably said in that trial. From both sides. It sounds insane. Crazy. This whole situation. So, again, going back. So, you know, Jim Oliver's like, he did it. We know that he did it. Case closed. Put him in jail. End of story. Okay? But then, uh, Dower's side goes, We proved that the defendant had the knowledge, opportunity, and motive to commit the crime. Sorry, that's what... Jim Oliver, the prosecutor, said. So he's like, we know that he did it. And we proved that nobody else had the same combination of things. He says the defendant even hinted. Here's an, okay, keep notes. Listen to this. So Jim Oliver, the prosecutor, said that Bauer, the the business partner, right, the one that's like the arsonist, supposed arsonist, he says the defendant even hinted that he was behind the fire in a comment to a colleague. 
saying that the Opry wouldn't be around much longer. So I looked into this more, and not only did that witness come to trial to be like, he literally told me, Bauer told me, that it wasn't, that the, that the Opry wasn't going to be around any longer. But not only did he tell that one person, he told several. He told several people that. So several people came to court being like, oh yeah, no, he told me. He told me that the Opry wasn't going to be around any longer. Excuse me, what? So then January 31st, 2014, here we go. You ready for this one? None of us would be suspecting this fact. January 31st, 2014, Brown County juror acquitted Bauer on all arson charges. Yep. Nope. He didn't do it. They acquitted him. What swayed the jury was the final argument made by Bauer's defense. But in a final argument, defending attorney John Boren asserted the defendant didn't have the physical ability to douse the building in flammable material that would have helped burn it down. So James Bauer was 77 at the time, and that was a huge fact that they kept bringing up in the trial. He's 77. He's old. He's out of shape. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He's not physically capable of setting it on fire. He's 77. But had he been charged, so had they uh, convicted Bauer, he would have been uh, sentenced anywhere between 6 to 20 years in prison. But he didn't. They let him go. They said he didn't do it. There wasn't enough evidence. And uh, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but no one was ever convicted of the crime. So it's still unsolved today. They have no idea who did it. But here's where it gets interesting. Okay. Fire burn, you know, burns down. Bowers released. No one was convicted. Then in March 2012, the property is bought by Scott Wayman. So Scott Wayman is like a beloved radio host, you know, everybody loves him, talk to the town, just an all-around good person, right? So he buys it, and he is just heart set. It is his dream to reopen the Opry. He wants to have all those artists come back and do their music and bring attention and tourism back into Brown County. He's so excited. He's ready. It's his dream. Let's do this. Um, well... That didn't happen. I'm just going to just gonna tell you now. So he bought the land for $58,000 at sheriff's auction. It's a pretty good deal. And he tried to rebuild it, guys, for years. Literally years. The original opening date was set for 2013, but unfortunately the project never advanced to the point of groundbreaking. Not only did a new Opry building need to be built, a project that would cost around... million. That's a lot of money. But a new wastewater treatment method also had to be put in because the original wasn't up to code. Oops. The Opry did not have a sewer hookup and was built on a floodplain. So let's all just take a moment to think about that. Is this or is this not possibly cursed land? Arson. Someone buys it, tries to rebuild it, they can't. It's on literal floodplain. It has no sewer hookup. It is doesn't have good, clean water. You know, it's just like there is nothing positive, right? This land has a history, if you will, and not a kind one. I'm thinking it might be pet cemetery land. What do you say? If you bury someone there, are they going to come back? That might be a little test. So then, unfortunately... 
you know, his dream never comes to fruition. He can't get the money together and then he just literally can't build. It's like on a swamp. You just, you can't build it. You can't build anything. And then May 28th, 2019, unfortunately, Scott passed away. Rest in peace, Scott. But we have an update, a quick little update for you all. So March 16th of this year, 2021, the Brown County Democrat stated that the Opry had been sold. That's right, folks. Someone bought it. The cursed pet cemetery land where the Opry once stood has been bought. William Jacob Capital LLC is the new owner of the empty 6.5 acre lot. Andrew Tilton, now I want you to keep in mind and remember the name Tilton. We will be talking about a Tilton member here soon in the next few episodes. So Andrew Tilton of Brown County is the registered agent for that LLC, according to Indiana Company Directory. So he bought it along with another business entity. And according to the Brown County Democrat, plans for the property are not known at this time. They couldn't get into contact with anyone to figure it out. I hope that, you know, they're able to do something with it. Personally, I would just level it and make a parking lot and charge tourists uh, to park there. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think I'd build a business. Can you even build a business if you can't have a sewer or uh, it's built on floodplain? Like, that just sounds like a code nightmare. Like, like the, the stuff of nightmares and millions of dollars. You, okay, here's my, here's my opinion. I think you should either make a parking lot out of it or make a camping site, you know, pop some yurts up there. That could be cool. That could be fun. Or you can make it a renaissance lot. You can have renaissance fairs there. That could be a lot of fun. Have a little jousting ring. Um, some stands for food. I think that could go, could go over and, and bring a lot of business just in a different way, you know? But yeah, guys, so that is the arson at the Opry. An unsolved mystery, if you will. Who knows? The way Brown County works in the next few years, they might catch the arson. But, you know, this stuff always comes back, I feel like, and we are able to somehow, by some miraculous means, find out who the perpetrator of these crimes are. I wouldn't be surprised. Again, Brown County is small. It's a little town. There's only a certain amount of businesses and buildings. And the vast amount of arson that has struck Brown County is literally crazy. And so I'm going to go out here on the assumption limb. Here we go. And say that the same arson of the Opry could be the same arsonist as that struck all those other businesses because they were around the same time they weren't super far apart you know this one happened in what did I say 2009 and then a few years later it was the other you know and they were not super far away from each other in the amount of years so I would not be surprised if it's the same arsonist but anyway uh, that's all I have for you today I hope you're doing well and I'll see you next week. Please tune in next Sunday. I'll be coming right back at you with a brand new episode titled, are you ready? Drum roll please, Mountain Lions in the Holler. See you next week.
Bye.